another Tuesday. What's up, young adults? It's good to see you guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for that energy. We need energy in this room. I say this often, but this has to feel like young adults. Not like old adults. Not like y'all been at work all day, even though you've probably been at work all day or at school all day or doing something all day. For some reason, we're all so busy now. Even if we've just been scrolling, it's exhausting, isn't it? Pastor Darius was talking last week about the, the strong thumb muscles because we're scrolling so much. And he, he mentioned that he's, that he's old. And that was an old joke. Dang, wow, that didn't land well. Okay, so look, tonight I wanna talk about something that's really, really important. It didn't sound like it from my intro, but um, I really wanna talk about something significant tonight. I wanna talk to you about relationships. And yeah, but not like in that way. Not in the ooh, no, like for real. Like I wanna have a real conversation tonight about relationships, um, not, a, not a glitz and glam, you know, five keys to finding a man <laughs> type relationship or a woman, you know, because everybody's looking, but a real conversation with you, be, and, and here's why. Not just because Valentine's Day is coming up, not just because it's something that's popular, you know, in our, in our age group and culture, but because I know that this is, I mean, your romantic relationship life is one of the most impactful things on your life and on your walk with God. Pastor Dennis would say it this way. He would say that the two most important decisions you make in your life are following Jesus and then who you marry. And now in year five, I think we are, of marriage. Amen. Come on, somebody. Um, I agree with that more and more. Like even just now, I just got here like 20 minutes ago because we were trying to, we got two kids now. So like trying to put them down to bed and all this stuff, trying to juggle all these things. And I just find how important it is for us to partner together. And a lot of times when we're talking about relationships, we're talking about feelings and we're talking about emotions and all those things are involved. But the reality is that your relationship life is the most important partnership you will have. Is anybody in here married? Got a couple people in here married. Hey, Amen. It wasn't to draw any level of separation. I was just curious. And then by a show of hands, does anybody in here plan to at some point be married? Some people are more excited about it than others. No, please keep your hands up. I'm just trying to take an inventory. I just want to make sure... I'm sharing the right message with the right room. There's only a few people who are saying no, so you guys can take notes for your friends. And everyone else, I think you'll be able to find value in, uh, in what we're talking about tonight. And I'm not just gonna be sharing opinion with you. We're gonna look at a couple different uh, instances in scripture and relationships in scripture. And as I mentioned to you, here's why. Because who you choose to be with is either going to add to or subtract from your walk with God and the fulfillment of your life's purpose. Who you choose to be with is not, is not just about hanging out, is not just about having a good time. It is going to, and it will never be neutral. It is either going to add to 
your walk with Christ and the fulfillment of your life's purpose, or it's going to take away, subtract. Has anybody ever experienced that? Have you ever been in a relationship? Yes. That, yeah, yeah, my man in the back, he's like, I have. He knows what it feels like to be in a relationship that is subtracting from your walk with God. Some of you guys are in them right now, and this is why we needed to talk about this tonight. Come on, that was, there wasn't as many amens. <laughs> or screams, or woo-hoos. But the reality is many of us, we rush into relationships because relationships, they feel good, at least at the beginning. And there are elements of them that we really, really enjoy and we really love, but they take a lot from you. They require such a high level of investment of your time and of your energy. And some of us, we don't even realize how much time and energy, we are investing into relationships that are giving us nothing. And, but I want, you, I want you to hear this through the right lens because what I'm sharing with you tonight can absolutely be life-changing for you. Life-changing. And it's not because it's a, a new concept. It's just like if you do what is kind of obvious it will be life-changing because many of us are making actually obviously poor choices, like being with somebody that is not in alignment with where we're trying to go in life. And we wrestle with, I mean, we struggle with it. And we ask God and we ask friends and we pray about it and we fast about it and it's obvious. It doesn't even make sense. The math does not math. It doesn't add up. Why would you be with somebody and invest your time, your energy, your resources, and everything you have into a partnership that from the onset, from the beginning, is not going in the direction that you say you wanna go. And we struggle with this, and this is why I'm saying if we listen to the truth, if we receive the truth, the truth will set us free. There was a time that I was lost, lost. And what is, I'm, What is scary to me, what puts the fear of God in me, and what puts a deep gratitude in me is that I did not end up with a permanent spouse based on my decision-making when I was lost. Because I would not be with Gabrielle from when I was lost. It wouldn't have made sense. And we both had instances, times in our life, seasons in our life, where we were totally lost. And when I say lost, if you don't know what I mean, I mean not following Jesus, not really understanding the direction that God wanted my life to go and where he wanted to take me. And so I had ideas for my life. I had vision for my life. I had dreams for my life that I was pursuing and going towards. And I was making decisions based on how I felt in the moment, based on where I felt like I was going to end up. But... I was wrong about everything. So if I would have made a permanent decision as to who I was going to link my life with forever based on misinformation, it could have been the worst decision I had ever made, which is why I'm saying I appreciate God's grace that I didn't end up permanently connected to somebody based on when I did not know where my life was going. And can I say for you, I said I want to have a real conversation with you. Are you guys ready for a real conversation? Because I want to say some things that, again, they really kind of should be obvious on the surface, but they're going to be a little jarring 
like this. Some of us are not ready to date. And you're like, I'm grown. How am I not ready to date? It's because you don't know where your life is going. And so it's, it's like you signing a partnership, right, and a, a business deal. You're going to give somebody half of your business before you even know what your business is. Before you even know what the business is, where it's going, what you're trying to accomplish, and what they bring to the table. But you're going to sign away half of everything you're about to build based on the fact that they're cool. You like them. Does that make sense? I guess. And uh, uh, what, I, what I was saying is, does it make sense to do that? It doesn't. But how many of us, we do that all the time. And that's how we prospect people when we're dating. We're not really basing it on anything. And half the time, we're trying to figure out how, how far close to the line can I go? Like, how flexible is God in his plan for my life? And you know what? I'm going to take some steps back from that. Many of us are not even talking about the plan for our lives. How flexible is God in Christianity? Like, I'm a Christian, so what kind of person do I need to be with based on the fact that I'm a Christian? And so then we say, okay, well, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? And they say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then we're like, okay, bet. We are equally yoked. And that's not how that works. And even the concept of being equally yoked is this, it's this illustration from the Bible that is, it's an illustration based on oxen. And oxen had yokes on their necks that connected them to an oxen next to it for the work they were about to do. And what Paul says, do not, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because it was kind of obvious that if you're not equally yoked, you cannot get anything accomplished. If you have a big oxen yoked with a little oxen and they're trying to go two different directions, they will never get the job done. And what society often has convinced us is that we don't have any work to do that we don't have anything that we actually need to accomplish, that we are just creatures with desires and we need to pursue our desires when the reality is we need to pursue God and pursue the purpose that he has and the calling on our lives and follow what the word of God says, which is I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And if we go about life that way, then it matters who we go about life with. Amen? Amen. And so I believe that God has some wisdom for us. And I believe that honestly, most of us have access to more wisdom than we even acknowledge. And oftentimes wisdom is screaming to us, obvious things, simple truths, things that will help us to avoid pain and we're ignoring it. And I think this has been going on for a long time. In Proverbs 8 verse 1, it says this, doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? Don't you kind of know what to do? Don't you know some wiser things that you could be doing? Doesn't wisdom put itself out to you and give you an opportunity to embrace it? But most of us, we know it. But instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to listen to wisdom. We say, I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to try it for myself. And I don't think this is going to be that bad. And I don't think this is that big. I don't think this is as big of a deal 
as everybody makes it out to be. And you know what? Maybe this situation is going to work out for me. But wisdom would say otherwise. Wisdom is just wisdom. And there are wise ways to go about things, and there are unwise ways to go about things. And when it comes to your relationship life, it is so important that you and I are making decisions based on the latest book that somebody wrote. No. Wisdom. We need wisdom for relationships. And that's why tonight's message does not have a very catchy title. It is called Wisdom for (laughs) Relationships. A few verses down, Proverbs 8, 10 through 11 says this. Accept my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can equal it. Wisdom will save you time. Wisdom will save you money. Wisdom will save you heartache and pain and anguish and agony. And so many times we are trying to avoid those things. And in our efforts to avoid those things, we make foolish decisions and we end up with more pain and more agony and more anguish. But wisdom is a gift from God. And wisdom is a place of safety. And wisdom works itself out practically in our day-to-day lives, in our day-to-day decisions. And so wisdom is a space that you don't have to under-spiritualize your relationships and act like God is not involved at all. And wisdom is a space where you don't have to over-spiritualize your relationships and act like you don't have anything practical to do and just say, well, God told me that this person who does not even know who I am is my spouse. These are the things that we are doing in the church. And it doesn't work itself out practically often. And so I want us to understand the value of godly wisdom on godly counsel, the counsel of the word of God. He gives us so much in his word. And this is why I'm excited about uh, being able to share some of these things tonight, because there's just story after story after story in the scriptures. And if you take some time to really examine them and acknowledge, man, these are human beings. These are people like you and me who are experiencing real life. You can actually see a lot of the practicality in it. And I actually want to examine some relationships uh, from a person who has kind of a shaky relationship life and relationship history in the Bible. His name is David. And, but I want to talk about some of the relationships in his life that we don't talk about often. Many of us know about David and Bathsheba, and it didn't turn out well. But prior to his debacle and situation with Bathsheba, David was married several times. And one of the interesting things about that is just, just, a, just a side note, a tidbit. I know oftentimes we hear like, oh, man, you know, in, in the Old Testament, God allowed people to just have multiple spouses, right? Actually, no. He said, do not do that. He specifically told the kings, do not take multiple wives. And what did the kings do? Took a whole bunch of wives and brought pain and anguish and grief upon themselves because they did not listen to wisdom. 
Remember, tonight's message is wisdom for relationships. They did not listen to wisdom. God was giving them wisdom. He did not force their hand. He did not make them make decisions, but he told them the best way for them to make decisions. And we see how it plays out. We're not gonna dive all the way into that aspect tonight, but tonight I wanna look at some of the relationships in David's life. And the first one that I wanna look at is David's very first wife, Michal. Is anybody familiar with David and Michal? Not many people. Okay, this is fun. So David uh, is anointed king very, very early on in his life, but he doesn't be, he's not appointed king until later in his life. And so David is a, is a young guy while a, while a man named Saul is the king. Saul is anointed as the first king over Israel. And David shows up on the scene when David kills Goliath and makes a name for himself and then is welcomed into Saul's army, into his palace. He's kind of at Saul's right hand. He's around the royal family. And at a certain point, David is so successful in all of his exploits and he's winning all these battles and all these wars that Saul offers him his daughter in marriage. And David pays an interesting price for it. I'll let you go read about that. David pays a very interesting price for the daughter of Saul and her name is Michal. And when David, at a certain point in his life, Saul God rejects him and takes his spirit from Saul and his spirit is now resting on David and Saul hates David and Saul starts driving David out of town. So then David ends up on the run for his life unfairly for a while and in that time, he kind of loses his wife because his wife is Saul's daughter and David is on the run and so he's not around her. So when he comes back and is king over Israel, After a long story, I'll let you read that as well. He gets appointed as king over Judah and then over Israel. One of the first things that he asks for when he gets the kingship is, give me my wife back. The wife that I paid that interesting price for, I want her back. And I want us to dive into uh, a passage here where we see the kind of character McCall had. And so there was a point in time where the Ark of the Covenant, which is, it's, it's too, too much to explain. If, if you, you got to catch up. Some of us just got to catch up, right? <laughs> the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the very tangible presence of God had not been present in Israel and in the city of David. And after a long story, they're marching it back into the city. This is a joyous occasion. This is literally God's presence on earth that they are able to carry and bring into the city of David. And David is elated. He's excited. He's worshiping and he's dancing before the Lord, singing before the Lord. And it says that he's on his way to bless his household. And this is, this is where we catch up here. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter, Michal, looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing Before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Well, that's interesting. David is finally walking in what God called him to do. He's been through so much, so many challenges and trials and tribulations and attacks, 
being mistreated and, and unfairly treated. And he ends up finally in the place where God appointed him. And he is just excited to be able to actually live out the fullness of God's calling on his life. And he, God has shown himself to be so faithful to him. David and God have such a, a, a tight relationship that God actually calls David a man after his own heart. He says, David is a man after my own heart. And so God notices David. God sees David. And David notices God and sees God and cares about God. And David is worshiping God. And as he's bringing the presence of God into his city, and he says that he's on his way to bless his household. And his wife clearly has a different value system. Because on this momentous occasion, where they are bringing the ark of God into the city, she looks down from the window and she doesn't see the ark. She doesn't see a move of God happening. She does not see a momentous occasion. She sees her husband dancing and doesn't like it. And doesn't like it so much that it says she despised him in her heart. Imagine that being your spouse. That as you're out here trying to worship God, live out the calling on your life, and enjoy a peaceful, joyous occasion, your spouse is looking at you, hating you for loving God. It's an interesting situation because it is not that far-fetched. And many of us, we see red flags when it comes to people that we are interested in being with. And many times we ignore them. Red flags like, they don't really care about going to church like that. And you do. Red flags like, oh, they may say they're a believer or they may say they're interested in God, but there is no tangible fruit in their lives where they are making decisions based on their relationship with God. Maybe that person is you. And you are in a relationship with somebody. I, I want to talk to you. Maybe you are in a relationship with somebody who says that they are fully and wholeheartedly committed to God and you want them, but you like are not that sold on God. That's not a good situation because the reality is a lot of people, a lot of people don't mind somebody believing something. But it's one thing when you have beliefs in your head that don't affect me, and it's another thing when you make decisions that affect me, and we're supposed to be partners. And so McCall is looking at David like, you're supposed to be my husband, and you just out here acting all undignified. For over what? She doesn't care about God the way that David cares about God, so... Let's continue reading the story. Verse 20 through 23. When David returned home to bless his household, David is coming to bless the household. David is coming in for a good time. He doesn't know his wife was looking at him from a distance, despising him in her heart. He's just trying to have a good time, serve the Lord his God, and worship, and then come bless his household. And it says this, when David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. I, I'm, I'm going to meet you before you even get to the door, sir. <laughs> How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. Sarcastic. Rude. 
He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. And David replied to Michal, it was before the Lord. I was dancing for God. I was worshiping God. And I I love what he says here. Who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. Yeah, the God who put your daddy to the side and made me the king, that was the God I was worshiping. In case you forgot what he did for me, yeah, when he made me king instead of your dad and your whole family, that's why I was worshiping him. He said, I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. However, by the slave girls you spoke about, I will be honored. I don't even know what that really meant at that time, but that sounds dicey. And Saul's daughter, Michal, had no child to the day of her death. That means God heard that conversation. And God was not pleased with that conversation. And God was not pleased with her heart posture. And and can I tell you, I mean, it's one thing to read a story in the Bible about somebody else's life. And it's another thing to be able to glean wisdom and say, I don't want those kind of interactions in my life if I don't have to have them. Let me not sign up for this. Like if I'm actually trying to go after God, then I need to make decisions based on that. And I'm gonna tell you this, someone who does not love Jesus, I wanted to make sure I read it right. Someone who does not love Jesus will never see the value in your worship of him. Pay attention. Someone who does not love Love Jesus. I'm not talking about somebody who doesn't consider themselves a Christian. I'm talking about somebody who does not love Jesus will never see the value in your worship of him. And when I say worship of him, I love what Pastor Carl said earlier. He said, he said that worship isn't just about songs. It's not. Worship is about sacrifice. And I've said this many times. Worship is about orienting your life around somebody. And can I tell you, Worshiping Jesus is costly. That's how it works. Following Jesus is costly. And so someone who does not love Jesus, but loves you, they may like you, but when you start making decisions for Jesus that cost them, like, oh, you're giving what? You're going where? You're serving where? You going again? I, I know you were going on Tuesday nights and you know, but like still, you're going Sunday morning where? Saturday where? Serving? Eh, do they? Eh, eh. That's what you are going to experience when someone starts feeling like it's costing them for you to serve God when they don't serve God. And this is why it is impractical for us to be unequally yoked. And so if you don't love Jesus, you don't need somebody who does. And if you love Jesus, you need somebody who does because you're going to orient your life around Jesus. My wife and I partner in the calling on our lives. 
Like I said, we were both trying to put the babies down. And she's like, you can go. And I'm like, ah, I don't need to go. And we're just, we're trying to work together to serve one another in this season because we both value what God has called us to do. But if I was trying to be a pastor and come preach to y'all, it's one thing when nobody's waiting on me. I could go do whatever I want to do. But she has very good reason now to be like, look, it's 8.40 p.m. We got two kids at home. This ain't going to work. If she did not value what's taking place here, there would start being some complaints. But there are no complaints because we both value what's taking place here. Not to the point that it takes priority over my family by any means, but we are willing to serve one another and do what we need to do for God to be glorified through our lives because we've, we've agreed that that is the purpose of us being together. We're not just hanging out. We have a calling on our lives. We wanna see God's will done. My wife prays even when I don't feel like praying. She's strong and she prays. And when she's down, she doesn't feel like praying. I'm strong and I pray and we will balance each other out. And this is why I'm saying it's very impractical to be with somebody who's not trying to go where you're trying to go because it's gonna start getting costly and it's gonna get problematic. And you're gonna have interactions and situations like this that you didn't really wanna sign up for, but you didn't wanna listen to wisdom. Amen? Amen. All right. Now I want to look at another relationship. 1 Samuel 25, verses 2 through 3. Abigail and Nabal, people you probably never heard of. But we're going to dive into the story. A man in my own had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? With 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Yeah, he was that guy and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal and his wife's name, Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. This doesn't sound like a happy marriage because you have one person who's intelligent and beautiful and you have another person who is harsh and evil. Now, what gets interesting here is that marriages happened a little bit differently at this time. So this wasn't like she signed up for this. These were arranged marriages. Many times, Nabal would have went and talked to Abigail's father and said, I want to take Abigail as my wife. And Abigail's father would say, well, this is how much it's going to cost. And Nabal would go home and he would build a house on, 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 connected to his family's house for Abigail and him to live in. And then he would come back with the bride price and pay. And then he would take Abigail home as his wife. And Abigail didn't really get any dates in the process. She didn't really get to vet him and have deep conversations about what his heart's desires were and what his boundaries were what the vision he had for his life was, she just kind of ended up in the situation. 
and it's tough. And as we read through the story, you see it gets really tough because it's one thing, again, on the surface, for two people to have two different personalities, maybe two different value systems. But people's decisions affect the people that are around them. And what we see is Nabal is harsh and evil, and so is his decision-making. And so the results of his decision-making start impacting the people around him. Let's continue to read. Let me preface it first, though. David, because this was a super, super, super long story, and it was going to be like 10 pages for us to read the whole thing. So I'm going to have us jump in on portions. So David and his men, they're out in the field, and he's, this is while he's on the run from Saul, and David has a couple hundred guys with him, and they run into Nabal's men who are out shearing the sheep in this field in Carmel, and David, out of the kindness of his heart, they just start protecting Nabal's people. And they're making sure that as they're shearing their sheep, nobody attacks them, nobody robs them, nothing, nothing is lost, nothing is stolen, they just cover them. And then it comes down to David and his men uh, run into a need that they have. And so he's like, hey, you know what? Why don't I send uh, some of my guys to Nabal? Why don't you guys go tell Nabal what we've been doing for him and uh, ask him to send some provision for us? At, because, I mean, the reason that he has all he has is because we've been protecting him and we didn't rob him, we didn't steal from him, and we didn't let anybody else. Sounds fair, right? And Nabal says he's a very rich man. He has plenty. He's not... He's not really, you know, missing any meals. And so it makes sense. And here's what happens. 1 Samuel 25, 9 through 13. David's young men went and said all these things to Nabal on David's behalf. And they waited. Nabal asked them, who is David? Who's Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. He's calling David a slave. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shearers and give them to these men? I don't know where they're from. David's young men retraced their steps. And when they returned to him, they reported all these words. He said to his men, all of you put on your swords. This is the real story. So each man put on his sword and David also put on his sword about 400 men followed David while 200 stayed with the supplies. So Abigail is married to this man, Nabal. Nabal's a rich man. How many of y'all want a rich man? You don't have to, you don't have to, no. That was a trick question. And I stopped some of you before you raised your hand and yelled out. (laughs) I heard rumbling start happening. Yes! Look, I'm trying to make a point here. Look, okay. Nabal was a rich man, but he had poor character. He was a foolish man. And and some of us, we end up attracted to what people have, their exterior, the facade they put on, their image, their reputation, their influence. And inside, they are fools. And let me tell you, it didn't matter how much money Nabal had. He was about to die. It it, it did not matter. 
because he tried the wrong person. <laughs> and you know it's interesting because I mean I was reading I was reading this whole story and when you look at it in context it's interesting because I know David he was frustrated because right before this he's on the run from Saul and he ends up hiding from Saul and Saul's trying to kill him and David ends up doing this whole thing where he has to plead with Saul. He has an opportunity to kill Saul, doesn't do it because he knows I'm not going to touch who God has anointed king. He said, I could do it. I could, but I'm not going to because it's not the right thing to do. And I know that took a lot of restraint. That took a lot of restraint, like keeping your mouth shut when somebody's attacking you verbally, trying to argue with you, trying to incite you. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to just, this isn't worth it. I'm going to do the right thing. And he had subdued himself. He pled with Saul. And he was very humble before Saul. And he's like, you out here searching for me like you're searching for a, a single flea. Why are you hunting for me? I didn't do anything to you. And Saul apologizes to him. And then after this, I know David was just fed up because he's like, all right, I'm already on the run for something I did not do. I'm over here having to humble myself, try to do the right thing, not kill Saul. And then I'm over here doing this favor for this man out of the kindness of my heart. And he has the audacity to try to call me a slave and act like we won't just ride on his whole house. <laughs> and like I sent people to ask for it when I could come and take it. This is ancient times, savage times. This is not like you go into a subdivision. This is not paved roads. This is not concrete and highways and 85 and 285 and vehicles. This is just the ancient world. It's kill or be killed. It's take or be taken. And so he's being very kind. And he sends messengers like, hey, we were helping you out. Could you send this? And then the man insults him and just gets him to a boiling point. Has anybody ever been at a boiling point? So you guys can... You guys can resonate with how he's feeling right now. Because you see, he didn't even talk much. He didn't say like, I can't believe he said this. It was just, it just set him off. As soon as he heard it, he said, all right, y'all. Everybody put on your swords. Let's go. And everybody knew what they were going to do. There was no confusion. He didn't have to give a strategy, a battle. We're, you know what we're about to go do. Put your swords on. Let's go. And everybody knew what the plan was. And it's interesting to me because when you look at the relationship dynamics here, Abigail is now in a situation where she's compromised, her children are compromised, her people are compromised, because David is not just coming to have a conversation. And David, David says he's not even coming just for Nabal. David says, far be it from me if there is any man alive in his household by the time morning comes. He's about to kill everybody. This is about to be a crazy situation. Why? Because the man was foolish. We can get into conversations about violence in the Old Testament, but that's another conversation. God didn't tell him to do it, but he decided to do it. And then I want you guys to look at the contrast between the foolishness of Nabal and the wisdom 
of Abigail because praise God that God did not leave Abigail in that situation to die because of her husband's ignorance, but actually gives her an idea, gives her some wisdom. So, so one of the servants comes and tells Abigail what her husband had done. And Abigail's like, oh no, this is the David that they sing about, that Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. Oh my gosh. First Samuel 25, verse 18, Abigail hurried, taking 200 loaves of bread, two clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, get everything we got. <laughs> A bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, I hope he's hungry, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. It's an, interest, it's an interesting combination of meals ingredients, I will say, but you know, it's the, it's the Old Testament. I don't know what they had going on. So she decides, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to plead on behalf of my husband. The first thing that I want to say is she shouldn't be in this situation. You being with somebody who is not following God and who is foolish is going to have you in situations that you did not need to be in will have you praying your way out of situations that you never should have been in in the first place, but you have yoked yourself to ignorance, yoked yourself to foolishness, thinking it wouldn't be that big of a deal, and then it becomes that big of a deal when that person is uh, dealing with your finances as well as theirs and is dealing with your household as well as theirs and is raising your kids. And what about when they want to start teaching your kids something that you don't want your kids to be taught? And what about when you believe in praying to Jesus and anointing with oil and they believe in burning sage and invoking the universe? And then y'all have kids in this household and then you trying to fight off demons that you did not invite. No, 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 no. This is the real, this is the real situation that you can end up experiencing while you're talking about, oh, well, is it okay? Like, how much of a believer do they need to be? I hope they're a really good one. <laughs> so that you do not end up fighting demons that you did not invite. Because this is the reality of what we end up experiencing. And marriage is a partnership. It is not just hanging out. And we end up doing a lot of praying together because we're believers and we're in a war. And so we get attacked and our kids get attacked and all kind of stuff happens. And praise God that I have a praying wife and that she has a praying husband and our children have praying parents because I don't know how people do it without that. I don't know if people just don't realize they're getting attacked or what happens. I don't know what you do without prayer and I don't want to know. Period. I don't want to know because I got enough to worry about. And so what I'm saying is you making the right decision in your relationship life has a lot more implications than many of us are calculating. And we're not thinking about these things, but these things are waiting for us. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's continue the story. So she ends up uh, meeting David and she says this to David. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, talking about David, because he fights the Lord's battles. She's prophesying into his life. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. Someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life. 
But my Lord's life is tucked safely in the place where, God, where the Lord your God protects the living. But he is flinging away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or a troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. A wise woman. How many of you guys want that kind of person speaking into your life versus McCall? Who's angry at you for worshiping God? Abigail stops David on his way to sin and do the wrong thing and says, God has better for you. You don't have to take this into your own hands. God has called you to great things, phenomenal things. God is going to do what he has appointed for you. God is going to fulfill the promise that he's given you. God is going to make good on all of his promises. And when he does, you won't have to look back and regret this time that you got emotional and did the wrong thing and took things into your own hands. That is a wise woman. And when we talk about relationships, these are the kind of interactions that we're talking about where you can end up in a situation where you're just trying to follow the call of God on your life and worship God and you got somebody next to you giving you the business for it. Or you could be in a situation where you are trying to live out the call of God on your life and you're struggling and you're trying to make the right decisions, but you're about to make the wrong decision, but you have somebody next to you who values God and values you and values God's plan for your life and God's call on your life and will speak that over to you when you're about to do something foolish rather than encourage you to do something foolish. Can you see how important that could be? Because if she had not met David on his way To Nabal, David would have absolutely did what he was about to do. But David responds, blessings to you. God has sent you to keep me from needless bloodshed and from getting my hands dirty and from trying to work salvation and revenge for myself. Blessed be you and blessed be your discretion. This is what he says to her. And then an interesting thing happens. When Abigail gets back, her husband is partying. It says throwing a feast fit for a king. And he's drunk. So she doesn't tell him anything until he sobers up. And the next morning when he sobers up, she tells him all that was about to happen. And it says his heart died within him. Like he got so scared of the idea of what was about to really happen to him, that it killed him. 10 days later, he dropped dead. This is a real story, I'm just telling you. This is what actually happened. And then a couple verses down, it says this, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed blessed be the Lord. (laughs) The Bible's interesting, man, I'm telling you. Blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. Look at the grace of God, that God kept David from sinning through wisdom. God sends us wisdom to keep us from doing dumb things. 
You want to know why so much bad stuff happens? Because people don't listen to wisdom. It's that simple. It's not God's fault that people do stupid things. It's people's fault that they don't listen to what God says. We don't listen to what God says. So then we experience the consequences of our ignorance and our foolishness and our decisions. But God, in his graciousness, sent Abigail. But you know what David could have done? He could have been like, I'm about to come anyway. Like, I don't care what you're talking about. Thank you for the gifts. (laughs) But we have made up our mind and we pulling up. That could have actually been the case. Easily. He could have been so filled with rage and so resistant to wisdom that he did not listen to it and could have gone and ignored the promptings of God, sinned against God, shed needless. I mean, he was about to kill people who had nothing to do with it. That's what he was really about to do. And God sent a woman to give him wisdom that saved many people's lives and saved David from making a poor decision. And so, let's continue reading. It says this, amen, right? The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. Hmm. Yeah. I'm telling you, the Bible's interesting. He's like, oh, she's single now. Hmm. (laughs) David was a wild guy. When David's servants came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to bring you to him as a wife. She stood up, paid homage with her face to the ground and said, here I am, your servant, a slave to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. She liked the idea. Then Abigail got up quickly and with her five female servants accompanying her, rode on the donkey following David's messengers and so she became his wife. And that concludes our Bible stories about relationships tonight. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that, I mean, these are real people with real lives making real decisions in real time in the midst of God's plans. And this is what you can't miss. These are not just random stories, random interactions, or random people. God has a plan that is bigger than all of us, but he invites each of us to be a part of it. And how we respond to his invitation matters greatly. So your relationship life is absolutely going to affect your quality of life, but bigger than that, it impacts your role in God's plan. Do you understand that's what purpose is? Purpose is not very confusing. It's not obscure. It's you were designed. You were created with an intent. The one who created you had an intent behind creating you and has a plan he's unfolding. You have a purpose in the plan of God and you have a place in the family of God, not just as a random role or robot in the plan of God, but God actually invites us into his family to be members of his household, citizens 
of the kingdom of God. And who we choose to be with will greatly, greatly, greatly impact our experience in the kingdom of God and what we accomplish for the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so I want to close with these questions right here and and talk through this for for a brief moment. I closed my iPad in dramatic fashion, but I did have (laughs) other questions. I had some questions that I want us to contemplate. First and foremost, what adjustments do you need to make to your personal walk with Christ in this upcoming year? Because the foundation of your, of your relationship life and your relationship decisions, is, it's all gonna start here. You don't, this is why I said some of us aren't ready to date, and that's okay, because we gotta figure out us. So you don't wanna be the problematic person. You know, we, we all, we read these stories, and, and in your mind, you're David and you're Abigail. None of y'all are Nabal, none of y'all are McCall. Somebody else is. But the truth is, some of us are those characters, and there's grace for us, and there's wisdom for us. I, I, I was not always a stand-up character in the plan of God, let me tell you that. And I, I know that God had probably shielded some people from me and my foolishness because I was not submitted to God, willing to actually participate in what he was trying to do and live out the plan that he had for my life, I was just out here having fun. And that is not what any of us need when we're talking about our real lives, that our lives are just a breath. And who we choose to do life with greatly, greatly, greatly matters. And so again, the foundation is gonna be your personal walk with Christ. And as we start talking about relationships, man, what is God speaking to you about the adjustments you need to make to be the kind of person that you want to be with. Because some of us are gonna have trouble actually linking up with the right kind of person because we haven't made the adjustments we need to make. And some of us will have struggles yoking with somebody because we're gonna be unequally yoked, not because of them, but because of us. Like you can want somebody who's on fire for God, but are you? Because then you become the problem and you end up slowing them down. This is why I said I wanna have a real conversation because it's so important that we evaluate these things. Sometimes we could be just so in our own heads and we are the victim in every situation and like everybody needs to acquiesce to us. And, but sometimes it's just, you don't read your word, you don't pray, but you want somebody who does. And then you're having trouble finding somebody. Wisdom would say, what adjustments do you need to make? If you want to be yoked up with somebody who's going the right direction, what adjustments do you need to make to your direction to be going the direction they're trying to go? Maybe you are married. This is an important question for all of us to be asking ourselves regularly. What adjustments do I need to make? That is an ongoing question. What adjustments do I need to make in my walk with Christ to be more like him as a husband, more like him as a father, more like him as a son, more like him as a friend? What adjustments do I need to make? I want you to be contemplating that, thinking about that. And and if you're really bold, write it down. Don't let this just be a moment 
where we laughed about some things and we found out some interesting things and we got some ideas and we got some wisdom. Man, let this be something that actually impacts the way you make decisions because this can change your life for the good. And the second question is this, what adjustments do you need to make to your personal relationships moving forward? For some of us, this is, I just need to stop having this one relationship. For some of us, it's, man, I need to adjust the way I'm engaging with people, the way that I'm engaging in conversation. Am I tearing people down? Am I hindering people? Or am I continually connecting with people who are tearing me down, who are hindering me? What adjustments do I need to make? Do I need to start praying for my partner? Do I need to start serving them? Do I need to start loving them? Do I need to start actually living out my Christianity in my relationships? And it not just be a belief system that I have and I know some scriptures, but man, what would it look like for me to really be a disciple of Jesus in my relationship life? Behind closed doors. Is my love for Jesus and and what I do here, my worship of him, is it expressed in my conversation? Is it expressed in how I text, in how I call, in how I DM somebody? Am I respecting people in how I engage with them? How am I conducting myself? What adjustments do I need to make? And let's get real because these things only hold us back. So I don't know what you have going on, but you do. And God knows. And these things are all impacting the rest of your life. None of this stuff is neutral. And so I believe, man, if we will honestly answer these questions and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us about these things, we can see some key transformation that we need to see in our lives. Some of us need to stop having conversations after a particular time of day. Why? Not because it's the Christian thing to do, because it's just the wise thing to do for you. Some of us need to just change our environment, our atmosphere, where we're going out to, what we do for fun. There are some adjustments that we need to make because there's too much on the line. I just, I mean, for me and my household, we're going to get to where God is calling us to go. We're going to get there. Regardless of the decisions you make, your friends make, or anybody else is making, what is going to be happening in the Smith household is us going after God with everything that we have and helping each other. When one of us gets weak, the other person picking us up, me praying for her, her praying for me, us praying for these kids. And I believe that that's what God wants for you. And so here's what I want to do. If you'll just stand to your feet. I wanna give an invitation for, for, I know that there are some people in here who you, when, when, we, when I talked about what, per, what adjustments do you need to make with your personal walk with Christ, you're like, I need to have one. I need to start one. And if that's you, I, I don't need to make this a, a, a long drawn out moment. You know already, God's been stirring some things in your heart. If you know that's you, you're wanting to make a decision to follow Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to just lift your hand in the air, if that's you. Is there anybody in here? 
is saying, I wanna follow Jesus, I see you. I see you, I see you. I see you guys. A holy moment. This is beautiful. Keep your hand up. You wanna know why I'm not just having you put your hand up for a second and a half and putting it down? Because this is too big of a moment for you. Like if you're for real about this, no, if you're serious about this, this is too big of a moment to just glance over. This is you saying, I'm not doing life the same anymore. This is you saying the God of all creation has opened my eyes to my need for him. And I'm not going back to how I used to do life. And the first most important relationship that I wanna address in my life is the one with my father in heaven. And so if that's you and you have your hand up right now, I wanna invite you into a moment of prayer between you and God. And I want you to pray this prayer along with me and understand, man, this is, this is a conversation between you and God where you are sealing the decision of faith that he's already stirred in your heart. And you are responding to what he's already started speaking to you. You're not starting a conversation with him. You're responding to the conversation that he started with you tonight. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I hear you calling me. And I believe you are the son of God. I believe you put on human flesh and you lived a sinless life with me in mind. I believe you died on a cross with me in mind to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that you did not stay dead, but that you resurrected, that you're alive right now, that you're here in the midst of us, and that you are calling me to you. And so I answer, yes. I believe you have the power to forgive me. So I receive the forgiveness of my sins. And I repent. I turn from my old ways, from my old life, from the person I used to be. And I turn completely to you. You can have my life. You can have my work. You can have my relationships. I just want you. I'm going to follow you forever. In Jesus' name.